Tonight we're looking at uh, Colossians in chapter 3, verse 18 uh, to 25. So I'm just going to read that for us, and then we'll start looking at the verses and uh, what they have to say to us. Um, Wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. Children, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. Slaves, in all things obey those who are your masters on earth, not with external service as those who merely please men, but with a sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatsoever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord, rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve, for he who does wrong will receive the consequences of the wrong which he has done, and that without partiality. Before we start looking at these verses, let's just uh, commit our time to the Lord. Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for making it known to us. We thank you for speaking to us through it. And we thank you for what's recorded here um, by your servant, Paul, whom you used and your spirit uh, inspired to write these words. We thank you that we know we're hearing from you and we have these instructions directly from you. And Father, as we look into these uh, verses, these things that have been said for us, we just ask that by your spirit, you teach us, help us to understand and live this um, that you're saying to us. And we ask it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. In Colossians, um, one, one of the themes of Colossians is that Christ might have, um, in the King James, it says the preeminence, but that idea is that he might have the superiority or the distinction, the prominence, or um, as it says in the New American Standard, the first place that he might be the one that we're looking to and that um, he would have um, the preeminence above all. And so in these, these uh, few verses here, we have uh, something that's quite interesting in, the, in light of Christ having this first place. Um, it's dealing with harmony in the home. In a, in a large sense. And in this, uh, in following what is said here and living this out, there's a picture of Christ having the preeminence uh, in the individual lives of each one in the home and in the home itself. And Christ cannot have preeminence in the church if he does not have that in the lives of each believer. It won't be seen you know, among the group of believers if they're not giving him that. And he has that, of course, from God, but he, it won't be seen in the lives of the believers if they don't live it out. And also, in this, this instruction to the Colossians, to believers in, uh, in this uh, local church, the instructions were given to them as, um, as families. And the family is a place where love is given and where love is received. And that, again, is a picture of Christ and God. And uh, it's a principle that God operates on, that God is love. And love always entails a giving and a return. And so 
there's a receiving and a giving back. And in this little section, it's only a, a small section, but we have uh, uh, Paul uh, giving instructions for wives, for husbands, for children, for fathers, and for slaves. Now you might wonder why would slaves be included here? And it's my understanding in, in these times that slaves actually lived in the homes or were located in the family circumstances. So in a sense, they, um, we know from some scriptures, they could actually be considered in some sense um, a part of the household. And uh, slaves who were devoted to their masters, sometimes even when they could be free, would remain with them because they loved their masters. And so they're included here also. So in, in this, we have... Um, five different categories, like I said, dealt with. And um, it's interesting, um, four of these really do deal with the family relations. And one of them deals with uh, the woman's role as a wife, three with men's roles as a husband, a father, and a master. And a woman could be a master in a sense for, this, for um, slaves also. And uh, one deals with children and one deals with slaves and those slaves could be women, men, or, or children. Um, so direct statements are made to each of these. Um, and the largest instruction is interesting is given to the slaves. Um, but in our day and age, we don't function this way. So, uh, you know, I wonder how we, we can interpret that and apply for ourselves. There's, there are many truths in that little section from 22 to uh, 25 that deal with actually uh, a godly life. So it starts out with wives and it says, be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. And I think this instruction has been misunderstood or misapplied um, sometimes. And uh, sometimes it's very well understood. I was looking at different commentaries and some of the old, it was interesting, some of the older commentaries written maybe in the early 1800s um, had a much better sense of this, in my opinion, than some of the newer commentaries that maybe were written. I think the, the one I looked at was probably written maybe in, in the 1960s or 70s. And if we get the wrong sense from this, uh, we won't really understand what the, the Lord is saying um, to his people. So here he's dealing with wives, and this is the relation of the wife to her husband. And uh, we know that the relationship between the husband and the wife has a great effect on the children. So it's very important that these this uh, relationship is established as God would have it. And, um, and what the children see in, in, these, um, in their parents and their, in the husband and wife will have a, it does have a great effect on their walk with the Lord. The choices they'll make, um, it has an effect on the lifestyle they'll choose and many other things. 
we, of course, these are not the only determining factors once children become adults, but, but as they're growing up, the family situation that they grow up in has a great effect on, on them as their minds are forming and as they themselves are learning to become uh, more and more independent through their life, make more and more decisions for themselves and eventually become adults who will uh, leave the home. I've heard of different studies that show, um, you know, the father in the home, how he acts is much more, has much more effect on the children than we actually might think. If the father goes to church, is faithful um, to going to a local church and being under the instruction of God's word, it's more likely that the children will continue to do that. It's interesting, if it's, if it's the mother alone, oftentimes the children don't continue, and I'm not sure why that is, but, it, but they found that that's uh, the case. If their mother is loved by the father, the children will feel loved also. So it's very, very important how we um, interact in our families, and these instructions are given to us to really help us. And, um, the first one, it says, wives be subject to. And what does it mean to be subject to? And uh, this is where a lot of um, trouble comes, I, I think, sometimes. But I just looked it up to see, well, what in the English would, would that mean? Why did the translators in this version use that? There's other things. But it means bound by, constrained by, answerable to, accountable to, liable to, under the control of, at the mercy of. But it, the, the idea is here, if you look at it, Paul is speaking to the wife. He's, he's giving an instruction to the wife. And the, uh, the thought that's conveyed here is that the wife who willingly puts herself in this position to her husband. It, it's a willful act. It's a choice made by the wife. When Adam and Eve were created, they were created in the image of God. And what did that mean? That's um, what does exactly that mean? Well, it meant they had a mind, they could understand God, they had emotions, they could love God, they had a will, they could choose in that love that they're receiving from God and their love back to God, they could choose to obey God. So <clears throat> the idea I see here is that the wife willingly puts herself in this position. She de desires to live in this way, and it's not contingent on the ability or the worthiness or the moral strength of her husband. It's not, it's not based on his character. It's not based on his successes or failures, his spiritual life. It's based on the fact that she chooses to give Christ the preeminence in her life. And in doing so, she willingly chooses to put herself in this place towards her husband where she makes herself accountable to him or, or um, answerable to, subject to is what it says. And it's a, it's a willing choice on the part of the wife. It's not something that's constrained on her, or forced on her by her husband. It's not something that external forces um, like the church or other can put on her. It's a, it has to be a willing act on her part. And it's, it's an act that is done in recognition of who the Lord is, because it goes on to say, 
um, wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. And that idea is it's proper in the Lord to do this. It's right. It's a suitable thing to do. It's correct. It's the, the, it's the, um, the appropriate thing to do in, the, in that situation, in the married situation. And as a believer, this is what she would do out of love for her Lord. And then for her husband, it's not done out of, out of her love for her husband. That's the secondary aspect of it. It's done out of love for her Lord. And this is, this is a difficult passage because it's been applied in so many um, authoritarian and uh, autocratic ways that, that it, uh, we kind of turn from this scripture at times. Um, but the phrase also limits this as to what is godly to do because it's, it's done uh, as is fitting in the Lord or what's proper in the Lord. So it, she's not commanded by her husband, but she makes herself accountable to him. It's a choice that she willingly makes. But she will never do wrong in this situation against her Lord for her husband. Um, and this attitude and practice of, of putting herself in, uh, in subjection to her husband will honor her husband and give him respect. He will feel respected in this sense. But it's not because of who he is that this is happening. It's because of who the Lord is. It has nothing to do with um, the husband being worthy of this, but it's, it's just the practice that is, um, is re required by the Lord. And this will have a great influence on her children and on their response to their father. That's an important thing to consider. <clears throat> Children will much more willingly be under their father's um, authority if they see that their mother places herself in that, that place willingly, not, not by force or, or by coercion or by um, constraint, but she does it willingly as to her Lord. Um, and the children will much more uh, be in obedience or in subjection to their father if they see this attitude in their mother. And it will greatly motivate her husband. This is, this is often lost in our society today. Um, we're living in a society where, you know, men and husbands are denigrated a lot. And... Um, and actually, um, it's had a great effect on a lot of men and even their desire to enter into marriage. But, um, but this attitude of a, of a woman, of a wife to her husband will motivate them um, and actually gives him confidence in his, in his daily life. Uh, and in our times, men are not respected, as, um, and they're they're blamed for a lot of our of the ills in society. And they feel like a lot of times they feel like they need to take a secondary role in society, or be or be like women. Actually, that's that's another cause, and and this is actually infiltrating into um, the church, the society of believers. It's infiltrating into that 
But this, this attitude will be a great example to others. And I, I've seen it in different places. And um, when, it, when it's done in a proper way and with the right motivation, it can have a, a powerful impact on, on others. It's a, it's a testimony of the preeminence of Christ in a life. The husband can't force this, and it's not his place to do so. It's the wife's own instruction from the Lord and from her Lord. And the abuses of this have made it into a law which, um, which must be enforced rather than a decision of the will to render service to the Lord. And so it's many times um, in history, this has been abused in the sense that it's been a forced constraint and, uh, um, and an improper view of, of a woman and her place and not seeing that this is actually her choice to willingly submit to her Lord and to put her play herself in that position. Um, and there's also the abuses of the husband because um, he may in try and enforce this and uh, in many ways it, it causes greater problems. Uh, well, it does cause great problems in the, in the marriage relationship. Um, some of the reasons women may not desire to do this, you know, is, is often they look at their husband. Um, he could be abusive. Um, he may have failed in his wife's opinion, um, as well as in practice to love his wife as he should. Um, and there's a danger that in cases where the, the husband is not respected by the wife and um, she sees his failures is an unwilling, in a, unwilling to subject herself to him, actually his failures become magnified and they increase um, because of his lack of confidence in life and his, and his actual own feeling of being a failure. And the danger she can become that constant dripping of contentious nagging, um, demanding him to do her bidding, belittling his character and actions, insisting that he not act without her, um, her consent, stifling every vestige of manhood um, that he has. And, and then he eventually becomes a shadow of himself. He withers. And he doesn't feel any ability to succeed. He's afraid of the consequences of offending his wife. Um, and this is, this is a really bad situation for a couple to be in. But if, a, if, if the wife can encourage her husband with all his failings and shortcomings and willingly subject herself in this way, it doesn't mean she has no voice or no opinion. That's another mistake we often make. That's, that's not what it's saying here. But she willingly puts herself um, in subjection to her husband, in, maybe in second place. I don't know if that's a good way to say it or not. But um, she promotes her husband, in a sense, rather than herself, and becomes his uh, cheerleader. 
And that will have a great effect in the home and on, on the, the husband, and it will encourage him in, in his life for Christ. The next instruction goes to the husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. So the first one is uh, love your wives. Um, that's We understand the word love normally, <clears throat> but the word that, um, that comes after, do not be embittered against them, angry or resentful could be used. Um, some versions say harsh, some say bitter. Um, the New Matthew Bible uses not to be grievous against them, which means severe, critical, or hurtful. But the husband is to love his wife. He is to understand her needs and treat her accordingly. There is a care that's implied in the word love, of course, and the husband is to take care of his wife. She's to be cherished by him above other women. But love allows, one thing love allows, it allows freedom and it allows, um, and it operates in trust. So you can see when there's this subjection, but there's freedom and trust, it's, it's, uh, it's a really good situation to be in. There's, he'll be patient with his wife and not frustrated. How many men are frustrated with their wives? Um, I think quite a few when you, we look around. In love, a husband cannot be controlling or authoritarian. That is just not what love is. You know, God loves us and he's the supreme um, being and he's our creator but he's actually not controlling and authoritarian. He never acts in that way. He always acts towards us in love. Um, a husband who loves his wife will not be critical and finding fault or flaws with his wife. He won't be picking them out all the time. He'll be concerned about her needs and seeking if he can, if he can to meet them. And he will overlook things that might irritate him. And he will seek her well-being and help her spiritually, emotionally, and physically. He's going to have her concern first before his. And one of the ways a, a husband demonstrates this, and uh, most men will probably relate to this, because it's a, a difficulty for most men, I think. Um, just my observation, listening. But not just hearing, but truly listening, taking time to stop and hear what his wife has to say, letting her speak, hear what she thinks and feels. And, and this will indicate to his wife a care for her that he can't, he can't really show in a lot of other ways. And uh, it's a listening without coming up with a solution, because a lot of times people, when they're talking, especially a wife, when she's talking to her husband, she's not asking him to fix any problems. She's asking him to hear her. That's what she's wanting. She wants, it, wants him to pay attention and listen to her and know her heart. And if he does this, if a husband does this, he will learn her inmost thoughts and her heart. He will know her in a much more intimate way than he would if he doesn't. Now, I know I have, that's a struggle I have because I get busy with things and get focused on things and I can't easily switch, but I, I have to learn to stop and take time to listen. That's, that's what um, men need to do so that their wife feels heard and, and loved. And then verse 18 says, do not be, um, at the end of it says, do not be embittered. Don't be angry. 
Don't be resentful. Don't be harsh. Don't be bitter. Don't be severe, critical, or hurtful. How many times can a man hurt his wife by the comments he makes against them? And uh, the, the problem is when a, a husband, when the couple feels mistreated by the other, they really don't feel like doing either of these things. They don't feel like um, listening. They don't feel like being in subjection to one. They don't feel like loving. Um, but this, these statements here are given to help us get beyond our feelings. So a husband can feel mistreated and neglected by his wife. And this can create many emotions um, and cause resentment. And so you're living in a marriage where the one partner resents the other. What a wife thinks about and says to her husband has a great effect on him, more than probably women really realize how she thinks about him, what she says to him really does affect him. Um, her support and encouragement can make him a great man, and the lack of these can bring him to a very low point. And the wife is the center of a husband's life. It's, it's, um, it's what he thinks about more probably than any other thing, his wife. That's what he is on his mind. And when he feels neglect or distance or when he feels nagged or criticized or put down, he can lose his affection and turn bitter. And so Paul is saying, no, husbands, love your wife. You do what you need to do that they know that they're loved. Um, and if he's bitter, angry, and resentful, critical, and harsh towards her, it's very hard for her to feel that love from him. So under the Lord's direction, he is not to be embittered against her. He's not to live that way. Um, sometimes men have a really critical, harsh attitude, but it is not an excuse to treat his wife in this way. They have to learn to deal with that attitude. Um, some men are controlling and some men are angry, but they are not to allow this to enter into their relationship with their wife. They need to allow the Lord to deal with those things in their life. And they need to be humble and confess their sin, allow the spirit to live Christ through him through them so that in these things, Christ again has the preeminence. He has the first place in the husband's life. He has the first place in the wife's life. And in that way, they can live together in, in harmony and, and unity. And then the verse 20 says, children, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. It's amazing here what we're reading. The Lord actually has a word for children. Not the parents to tell their children, but for the children themselves. It's not to the parents this was spoken. It's the word of Christ to children. Even a child can understand and allow the spirit to guide them. And Paul's writing to believing people in Colossians. They can please the Lord. A child can please the Lord in what he, he or she does. And Again, it's an act of their will to allow Christ to have first place in their lives, just as it is of the parents to allow Christ to have first place in their lives. So he says to the children, obey your parents in all things. This will please the Lord. And then he has a word for fathers. Again, and we, this would be husbands, fathers. He says, do not exasperate your children so they will not lose heart. Um, some 
there's different translations of this, but the idea exasperate. Don't berate your, berate your children. Don't provoke them. Don't embitter them. Don't irritate or frustrate them. Don't infuriate them. Don't annoy and anger and antagonize them. And fathers can do this to their children. And this shows the influence that fathers, this was a word to fathers, not to mothers, but to fathers. It shows the influence that fathers have in the life of their children. A father has a lot to do with the way a child develops and how they feel about themselves. Sometimes fathers think, well, I'll, I'll spend my time with the sons and the mother can spend the time with the daughters, but that's not a good thing. Fathers have a big influence on both their sons and their daughters um, and how they feel about themselves. And I've heard that there's been studies that show a father's home leads to many difficulties for the children, crime, addiction, anger, violence, um, incarceration, all these kinds of things. So um, a father must be kind and loving to his children. He shouldn't be an authoritarian. He should listen to his children and hear what they have to say, spend time talking with his children. It's very important to children that the father spends time talking to them, hearing their heart and, um, and speaking into their lives, being a part of their lives, going to things that are special for them, spending special time with them, special events, praising them for their abilities. The praise of a father on a child motivates them more than any other. Every child looks up to their father. How many little girls want to marry their father? They say, I'm, when I grow old, I'm going to marry daddy. He's the man in their life. He's their hero. Um, how many little boys look up to their father and they think, when I grow up, I want to be just like him. But it's so sad that after a few years time, they say, I don't want to be like that man. I, do want, I really don't want anything to do with him. He's just not a nice person. So we, we don't want to be those types of fathers. So the father should be a part of their lives and really encourage them by his actions and his words. And just briefly, we have the, the slaves who in all things, they are to obey their masters on earth. That again is a will, um, a choice of their will. They're going to make this choice because it's the Lord that's saying this to them. And again, they will give Christ the preeminence in their lives. He will have first place in their lives. And they're not going to do it as external service, but they're going to merely pleasing men. Well, <clears throat> we don't really have slaves in our society that we deal with. And so how does this apply to us? In my younger life and when I was working at a company in Ottawa, I always took this as a way that I could respond to my employer. I didn't, I didn't know... Uh, I couldn't find any other scriptures really talking about employees, employers that had the detail to tell us. So I, I depended on this. And don't really be men pleasers. Don't do your service just to please men. Don't do things so men will look on you and praise you. But do it with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord. So do what we do, not for men, but for the Lord. Everything we do, it's for the Lord. And again, it's giving him the first place in our lives. And he says, knowing that from the Lord, you will receive the reward of the inheritance. We don't get this from men. We get it from the Lord. 
and you've already probably talked about the inheritance in, in chapter one. Um, but we do have an inheritance in Christ that's reserved for us in heaven. And we're going to get that from the Lord. And it's the Lord Christ who you serve. That's what he was telling these slaves. He was saying, remember, you're, you're under this master, but you're really serving the Lord Christ. You're not serving men. You're serving the Lord. Well, so too are we in our daily lives. We're not serving men. We're serving the Lord. For he who does wrong will receive consequences of the wrong which he has done. And that without partiality. There'll be no distinction by God in those things. So if we do wrong, yeah, we're going we're gonna to receive the benefit or the recompense of wrong, which is not good. And um, the point is that we do things as before the Lord and as to the Lord, not as to men and not to please men. A, a very big challenge for most of us. And with that, I'll just stop there. And um, that's just some thoughts I had on these uh, few verses that really do contain an awful lot. <laughs>